And the time to start, if you're not living your dream, is right now. Start setting goals and setting out where you set in the course of your life and setting it all up so that you get somewhere in the future. When all that comes together, something happens called fulfillment. If you are not experiencing awesomeness in every aspect of your life, it's just from internal blocker barrier disconnect that you've chosen to take on. Life is as easy or as hard as we want to make it. And I got my hands and my eyeballs and my heart around any information I could around holistic healing. And that led me down a never-ending rabbit hole of which I'm still spelunking into the depths of. I needed something like ayahuasca to really wake me up because I was very rigid and very stuck in my ways and very structured and controlling. And my first ayahuasca ceremony cracked my ego in a billion pieces. And uh, that's when I believe when you when we really follow our deepest truth, when we really follow our soul, when we really follow our true calling, the universe rises to support us moment to moment to moment. Welcome to the Holistic Health and Human Potential Podcast. I am your host, Ronnie Landis. I'm an international speaker, author of multiple books, an integrative nutritionist, a transformation and embodiment coach, and simply a man who has devoted most of my life to the study, application, and integration of human potential. And it is my biggest inspiration to bring you weekly episodes that will expand your mind, challenge your paradigm, deepen your heart, and help you to embody the greatest version of yourself as I believe you are meant to do something incredible with your life and this podcast exists simply to support you on that journey. Before we dive headfirst into our show today, I want to first let you know about a revolutionary health transformation program I'm leading called the 40-Day Metabolic Transformation. This is a group-style coaching program where I take 15 individuals and guide them through a proven process to experiencing a greater level of well-being and health than most people ever knew was possible before. As a professional nutritionist and leading health educator for over the last decade, I have discovered and put together the essential puzzle pieces that lead to a vibrant health, optimized nutrition, sustainable energy, and personal transformation. This one-of-a-kind program is designed to support virtually anyone in achieving their weight loss goals, increasing physical strength, reducing chronic inflammation, boosting immune function, overcoming addictive food cravings, upgrading digestive health, and repairing a compromised microbiome, and aiding in a greater sense of mental clarity and cognitive focus. Our next 40-day metabolic transformation program starts on April 26, and I am accepting early enrollments right now. This program is open to the first 15 people who register, and they will receive an early bird discount on the program, which includes five live coaching calls with me, a private Facebook support group, and your 40-day supply of superfoods and natural supplements. If this opportunity calls out to you, please visit my website at www.ronnylandis.net and go to the Work With Me tab at the top of the page to review complete details and to register to reserve your spot today. Again, the website is www.ronnylandis.net. Now, let's move forward with today's show. 
Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Holistic Human Optimization Show. I am joined by my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Matt Kreinheider. And Dr. Matt was actually on this show a little while ago for our first interview together, which I definitely recommend. If you did not listen to that, make sure you go back to the podcast. I think it's episode 100 in... 106, I believe, something like that, 105, 106. You can go back to the database to look that up. We had an amazing conversation, and <clears throat> I wanted to bring Dr. Matt back on because we forged an incredible kind of alliance and friendship and um, just this mutual, uh, I guess, respect and bond over the last year in particular. And Dr. Matt is doing remarkable work in many different areas. You know, I, I worked with Dr. Matt in two different dimensions. Um, I was actually receiving uh, structural care, energetic structural care from him through the work he does in NSA, Network Spinal Analysis, which he'll tell us a little more about. Um, and it's really profound work. And he really, one, one of the things I was telling Dr. Matt uh, before we hopped on here is how much respect I have for him because he's able to pierce into the literally into the nervous system of a human being that he's working with and see all the different stuff that's going on within that person's system, uh, as well as the interpersonal dimensions of that human being. And he's able to see me in a way that I couldn't even see me because, you know, when we look in the mirror, we see this tissue body and we have all these programs and stories and uh, paradigms about who we are and these identities that kind of coat over the intrinsic, authentic nature of who we really are and to have that kind of reflection, especially through the um, energetic adjustment work that he does, not to mention his brilliance in fields like quantum physics, spiral dynamics, and many other dimensions of consciousness. Um, you know, Dr. Matt is just someone that I respect and admire to the nth degree, and it's a pleasure to have you on. What do I say to that? Wow. Uh, I'm super psyched to be here. Thanks. This is going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. And one of the things that I want to kick us off with is you are about to release a brand new book that you've been working on for a long time, yeah. Awakening the... Tell, tell us about it. Is it Awakening the, the Mystic, Awakening the Inner Mystic? Awakening the Mystics. Yeah. Yeah. So it's what I call a rally cry to the dormant mystic archetype in the time that we need it most. And I think that there's a lot of people and probably a lot of people in your audience, Ronnie, who are like you and I, who kind of have a foot in both worlds. You know, we, we live here in the tangible, but a big part of us is actually in the non-physical and, and our awareness is living there. And I'm of the opinion that it's uh, there's a, a big responsibility on our shoulders to be taking a lot of the wisdom from those non-tangible, non-physical spaces and bringing them back down right into the center of the culture and exploding them open in all the most uh, inclusive and uh, responsible and intrinsically important ways to help humanity get its ass out of the sling that it's in. And we're in trouble. And if we don't do something, we're going to be in even more trouble. So yeah, it's, it's all about the mystic archetype and how to take those spiritual gifts and really give them away in the, in the world. Yeah. And what I love about you is that you, you come from the world of, of the physical in the mm -hmm. sense of like your work in the chiropractic field and um, your doctorate in that and, and um, working with people physically, working with their physical body. However, 
at some point in your life, you kind of you kind of transition from just the physical gross matter we call it, the physical three yeah. D matter and working with people more energetically instead of doing like um, you know calibrating them by like shifting their their spine and, and popping popping things in the in the body and actually working with them on the energetic level. So I want to just kind of touch on that because your work in NSA is profound. It's had a profound mm-hmm. effect on my life and all the people in our mutual community in San Diego um, speak volumes about their experience with you. So I want to give everyone the benefit of understanding what is NSA and a little bit about that transition from the, the physical to the energetic. Yeah. Awesome. So for me, I'll, I'll wind it back just a little bit. When I went to chiropractic school, I had three criteria that I wanted to meet. I was looking for an awesome way to help people. I was looking for a way to make a nice living for myself. But the third thing was looking for a practical application for the exploration of metaphysics. Mm -hmm. So I had run guitar center stores, multi-million dollar music stores, and um, my undergrad degrees were in business and music. And I knew I wasn't going to do anything with that. So uh, these three things were really what was most important to me. So I looked at medical degrees. I looked at acupuncture, which I ended up doing later. Um, I got accepted to a master's in Buddhist studies. And there was all these other things that I was looking at doing. And I read the definition of chiropractic. And I said, oh, that's really cool. You take all the undue uh, influences off the body and the body goes back to doing what it's supposed to do. Rad. I can get into that. And, and what I kind of found was that uh, my office became a laboratory for understanding what happens when people are out of synchrony and out of flow with how the universe is asking them to move. Mm. So I believe that sickness and illness and chaos in life is the universe is heading this way and you're going this way. So when that flow isn't happening, we need a way for you to either get more realization, more resources, more energy in your system to kind of recalibrate back to where life is asking you to go. And a lot of that story is actually living in the nervous system and living in the body. That's the concretization of the energetic, of the spiritual, of the emotional, and it lands in the physical form. So my question is, I'm working with people using NSA and some other stuff is, where's the easiest access point? Where's the portal? Where's the door of entry in this human? Is it in the physical, the emotional, mental, spiritual? And then how do I start to kind of walk them in that direction so we can create more of that alignment? So network is an amazing way to uh, access the nervous system to help identify a couple things. One is um, the fight and flight freeze response that's going on in the system that's wrapped around whatever they're trying to insulate that needs to be healed. So we can release that and let them um, get the healing response just going back in the body. But then also, how do they feel safe and have a mirror for experiencing themselves so they can actually see themselves and what's going on and start to touch that thing that they've been avoiding so they can make the shift with that make. Yeah, yeah. I had a few experiences um, laying on the bed and you would just, you'd be, you know, riding your hand over my spine or part of my body and you'd ask a provocative question regarding something in my life. You know, mm-hmm. like I remember like something like, what are you avoiding or like what's going on here? And like when you would touch an area, something would come up in me you know, a memory or a thought or something that I might've been avoiding or might've been stuck with in my life, but didn't make that connection, obviously. And I thought that was really fascinating. I was like, wow, like this is really, this is way beyond kind of um, traditional or even non-traditional forms of healing or, or calibration, if you will. And um, I'm, I'm curious, like, because I feel like 
I could talk a lot about how amazing a particular modality or type of work is, but it also is about the person carrying out the modality. And that's that again, you know, not to not to toot your own horn, but like that's part of my my admiration for you is that I've had multiple people do NSA with me, all really interesting um, and, and unique in their own way. But doing it with you, I felt like they're, you're connected to the work or connected to what you're doing in a way that I found really unique. Yeah. Yeah. So, so network, the reason I do network is as a system and as a structure, it's the most advanced form of kind of uh, that crossroads of personal development and healing that, that I've ever found. So just the, the basic kind of um, pool of network gives me a lot of space to do what I do. And I'll say that um, just like all gifts, if there's a gift that's being expressed in what I do, it was born from pain, you know, and that pain for me is I'm a massive introvert, a massive empath, and I'm super energetically aware. So you put all those things together and you have to have some way to direct and channel that and turn that into a gift so it doesn't become more and more and more pain. So when I'm working on someone, there's a lot of data that I'm getting that I'm feeling in my own body that's just connected to what's happening for them. And then there's that little kind of quiet, intuitive voice that says, I wonder what would happen if I asked this question. Or this feels like it might be important to talk about their mom or their dad or you know what's going on in their business or whatever it is. And all of a sudden you ask a question and it gives a person an opportunity for reflection in a moment where the system is already calm and they're not charged that offers a new way forward. Wow. That's, that's amazing. That makes all the sense in the world. (laughs) I want to, so I want to circle back to how we started about um, the archetype of the mystic. Mm. One of the things um, over the years, especially diving into clinical and cognitive psychology, the work of uh, Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud and Frederick Nietzsche and and Heidegger and all the great psychologists and thought leaders. Um, You know, one of the things I've been really diving into is the nature of archetypes in a mythic understanding of reality and life itself versus this, this like superficial, almost plasticized way of interacting with the world based on on the appearance of form right yeah. and understanding that there's a bit of a veil in the holographic universe that we see but beyond that is this whole volume of information and data that we can tune into that's beyond just the peripheral senses right yeah i think we all kind of understand that concept through practices like meditation and Eastern philosophy and mysticism, but I want to kind of touch on this this conversation around mythic perspective and mm. nature of archetypes. Like, first of all, for everyone listening, what exactly is an archetype, and why is that relevant to our personal, um, I guess you could say, evolution or involution in the world today? Yeah, uh, such a cool question. So, I look at an archetype as a energetic and informational container that the universe has already set up for us to experience and hold ourselves in to more efficiently and effectively move in the direction that we have to go. So from Jung's perspective, there were certain character types that were part of the monomyth, right? Part of the uh, story that showed up in every culture around the world. And some of the classic archetypes are the warrior, the king, the priestess, 
the, you know, the mystic being one of them, the hermit, there's all kinds of different, when we say the word, there's just a clear understanding of what a person in that role is, is doing, is being. So the way that I see it is if that's been existing for thousands and thousands of years, then that's a container that I can step into and wear as an energy to help me experience more of what I need to be experiencing in the world. So that can happen in both a shadow and a light form, right? One of the most challenging things for people is when there's an archetypal energy happening in their life and a shadow aspect and they don't recognize it. So if you have a shadow victim, for instance, there's this victim energy that's happening in the background all the time and you can't see it and it's coming in and it's messing up your life. But when we can own that, bring that shadow aspect into the light and start to identify what's amazing about our own victim, then we can be with the victim and everyone else and we don't get triggered. And the same with any other, what we would consider a more positive archetype. So the mystic I really see as a a bridge, like we mentioned before, you know, that these non-physical realms are very tangible in a sense. They're accessible um, realms that are important uh, for gathering data, for connecting with soul and bringing that information back in. And the mystic is one of the greatest conduits of that, I believe. And one of the other things that's fascinating about the mystic is it's always kind of been on the fringe of society, right? It's always been kind of on the outside. And one of the assertions of the book is that there's no more time to do that, that we've got to bring that right back into the center of the culture because it's so desperately needed. And it's it's time. You know, the mystic has been uh, kind of a, a conduit or a um, connector to soul energy for a long time. And there hasn't been a lot of full acceptance of that in a modern context in the culture and it's just starting to wake up in, in new and exciting ways now. So it's, it's time for us mystics to show up and, and do what we're meant to do. Mm, that's, that's so beautifully put. What, what I was just thinking about. So I'm, I'm working on this book project called the pathology of fear. Brad. It is, it is an intense project because it's taking me down every little psychological rabbit hole that I could possibly go into unpacking the nature of fear, why I believe it's like a viral infection in the motherboard of humanity and why it is the crux of the matter, but it's, it's much deeper than it's, it's an embedded program in the software system. You know, one of the things that I got, I got kind of I touched on and wrote an entire chapter on is this, this parallel between the archetype of the sage and the psychopath or the mm. protagonist and the antagonist, the villain and the hero, so to speak. And this yeah. always shows up. You can't have one without the other, the mm-hmm. light, the dark, right? That was very depicted. That was depicted beautifully in star Wars and mm-hmm. other very iconic hero journey based movies. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting as I dove digger, I, I dug deeper, deeper into this um, is the fact that um, when we see these archetypes in their full expression, they look diametrically opposed. They look yeah. so different. But when you trace back and you look at the origin and how they go through the formative years of becoming that thing, that archetype, they're actually intertwined. So the sage, the hero, the protagonist, the, the one that we associate with being good, yeah. it's actually on a more similar timeline of maturity with the the psychopath the mm-hmm. boy, than anyone than the commons the commoners or the like the normal people if you will yeah uh, and but then there's a fundamental split in directions at some point when a fork hits the road where the hero 
or the sage makes a decision mm-hmm. where they actually have to divert from and, be, and go on the noble path. And the, 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 the shadow archetype, obviously, they go on there. And it's a very interesting theme and in how, how deep it goes. But I guess the point I want to make is that, um, you know, in all of our lives, there are these, there's these power plays, these internal power plays, whether it's the internal adversary that mm-hmm. thing inside of us that resists growth. It's like we avoid our own healing. We avoid our own transformation. And there's something inside all of us that is, it's like, it's like this oppositional kind of force. Yeah. But, but, you know, when I think about it, and I think about the work that, that I would benefited from, from you from doing your coaching weekend coaching program, and you really dove into a lot of these, these concepts of, of how evolution and quantum physics works in archetypes, I think it's fascinating um, in the sense that there's fundamental trigger points in our life that, that are like catalysts for evolution. And sometimes what we call chaos is actually order wanting to happen, but it looks really convoluted. It looks really chaotic and confusing. And if we're not, if we're not like aware, if we're not grounded I guess is one way of saying it, then we're going to confuse what wants to become orderly with being chaotic. And we may not be able to know when that fork in the road occurs. Yeah. Yeah. So good, Ronnie. So good. And I think what we're touching on here is how do I go through the mess in my life with some level of non-attachment and have the observer on board that doesn't buy into the mess and the fear, right? Because it's, you're from systems theory perspective, exactly what you're talking about is what happens. Like when you're at a certain level of growth, you can't stay there. You have to keep on growing. But in order to, for that to happen, there's got to be more and more energy. And that's all of a sudden going to get really chaotic. And then it reemerges at a higher level of order. So if we buy into the fact that chaos is bad, then we don't get the next level of order and we get stagnated where we are. And we can really observe that this is just the chaotic part of the journey. (sighs) Okay, cool. I'm going to let this be chaotic now because the world, the universe, and my internal and external identity is starting to completely reorganize and it's looking for what the next level of complexity looks like. Okay, cool. How do I assist that? How do I lean into the chaos? How do I love the chaos? How do I let that happen? And how do I accept that the fear is just my process of not knowing and my identity being stripped away so the next level of identity can emerge? Such an important part of the process. And and I've seen that the more comfortable we can be with that, the more at ease we can be with life altogether and the more growth and what we actually want can start to come online. Right. Right. Absolutely. It's such, it's such an amazing kind of perspective because a lot of times things are falling apart in our life and we don't know what's going on. And there's this, it's yeah. a, I guess it comes down to like certainty principle, like how much uncertainty can you deal with? Um, and are you addicted to certainty? Are you addicted to having to know how life is organizing itself or what the next step is going to be? Or, you know, it's kind of like a transactional vending machine relationship we have with life, right? Like, okay, I put this token in, I put this effort in, I put this positive thought in, and I'm automatically expecting something to come back to me. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's a funny thing when we get in those kind of binary uh, relationships or those binary perspectives on life, like A plus whatever universal mechanism equals B outcome. 
Maybe, maybe, you know, what I, what I tend to see is that the higher we climb in consciousness, the more perspectives we're accountable to. And it may be that A equals, you know, purple car. And if we go through all the steps that that had to happen to get there, you know, that there was a direct mechanism, but it's so complex that we have to let go and just keep on doing what we know, what we believe is our best to get to where we've got to go. And if we are looking for the universe to pay us back in a one-to-one kind of way, I promise you'll be disappointed. (laughs) You know, the more you grow, the less it works that way. Yeah, beautifully put. I I, I would love to, um, I'd love to take this and and start to segue into this conversation about quantum physics. And Mm. first of all, what is quantum physics in a nutshell? How is it relevant to this conversation we're talking about, about living our best life? And then ultimately, how is understanding that really part and parcel to our health and vitality? Mm, Cool. Yeah, so um, I think the easiest way for me to talk about my belief on quantum physics is to speak about it from a a conversation that you and I actually haven't had yet. And this is going to be part of what I write about in the next book, which is a multidimensional structure of reality. And if we look at the way that we experience the world as a typical, what I call a 3D and 4D, so the three is the spatial dimension, right? And the four is the linear progression of time. So that's our typical experience. And there's a physics that goes along with that. That's the way that that works. And um, there's also other levels of experience that are based in a more, from an integral perspective, the subtle realm or the dream realm or the, the spiritual, the soul realm um, that has a very different physics. And things like quantum non-locality or uh, quantum entanglement, where you can have two particles that are in complete connection and resonance, even though they're thousands or millions of light years across the universe. You know, that's a physics of a higher dimension that we start to see pressing down into this dimension as um, our level of of awareness of what we can look at rises and as that energy starts to involute and push down into into this realm. So I see it as a higher dimensional perspective on the way that the universe works from that place and we're starting to get more and more scientific validation and research on the actual mechanics of that. So it's this kind of funky little cross section of what's tangible and what's accessible here in this 3D, 4D realm with what we see as pure potentiality and a much more connected universe from a higher perspective. Yeah, and there's there's so many incredible nuggets in what you just said. I want to touch on this this theme of non-locality because mm-hmm. that's a principle that has always stuck, stuck out to me. And it's one where, you know, for example, you know, somebody could be praying locally their physical body is in a local place it's in a set place and that prayer whatever you want to call it the energy the emanation whatever it is can that that intention if you will can exist non-locally meaning beyond that physical location so if you're thinking about somebody in so many tests on esp and things of this nature extrasensory perception Mm -hmm. uh, validated in the morphogenic field from uh, uh, rupert sheldrake have validated that what happens in the physical space can transpire globally without without anything having to happen, without that person having to do something physically like make a call, but somebody thinks of them 
you know, a world away or they have a thought and then they get, they get a phone call from that person or like spooky matter, like Albert Einstein called it. <laughs> I touch on that because I'm thinking about that principle and its relationship to physical health. Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the, the things that has become really important for me as I'm working with clients is to find, like we were talking about before, what's the easiest access point for them? And a lot of times the people who are looking for this type of solution are the people who are actually bypassing and need to go down and do the emotional or mental work or the physical work. And the people who are resistant to these types of awarenesses are actually the people that need them most. So I'm not trying to call out anyone out there, but I also know that these fascinating topics of conversation allow us to really avoid what may be more fundamentally happening in just a pure emotional or mental space. And that being said, as a caveat, you know, for me as a responsible doctor, now let's talk about cool stuff. Um, so yeah, yeah, there is this, this fascinating kind of phenomenon of how do I have a non-local impact on someone, even though my physical form is operating in a different time space location than they are. And it's there, you're right. There's a lot of research that says that that's true. And from this multidimensional perspective, we are full multidimensional beings. So there is a part of me that is existing in this physical place. There's also a part of me that is not, that's existing in, in non-local, in non-3D, 4D spaces. And as we climb in the dimensions, it moves towards an apex, right? So at that apex level, we are the oneness. Um, and as we climb through these dimensions, there is an opportunity to be more intimately connected with all of humanity. And if we're operating from that space, can we make an impact that then can be measured down here? And the research seems to say that that happens. The, the trick I find is that there's a lot of research that also says that doesn't happen. So how do we quantify uh, and really qualify what that looks like to climb up to this next dimensional level and operate from that space. And religious traditions would call this soul, maybe. That would be, you know, from certain perspectives. And I think that there is ways to categorize what that actually is so that we can reliably get to that space and have an impact. And again, it's it's not an A to B linear thing. So we may make the prayer and it may go out and have an effect we totally can't see, which is really uh, unsatisfying to researchers and, and often to us as humans. And I get that. Um, but it, what seems to be true is the more we repeatedly live in that space and operate from that space, the more of an impact we have that sometimes this is direct impact and sometimes it's not. Yeah. And I, I want to touch on this theme of linear versus nonlinear dynamics. You're basically talking about it, but I want to kind of, I want to kind of point that those terms out because what I'm hearing is that Typically, we are focused on linear dynamics. One plus one equals two, A, B, C. And then there's nonlinear dynamics. And I think there's, um, there's a familiarization that has to happen. Mm-hmm. Where we become familiar with nonlinear dynamics of how life may actually be working beyond the, per, the perceptual sensory um, kind of machinery that we have that we only see like a, a you know, we see a physical object as being a physical object, but we don't see beyond the veil in what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And and again, this is Newtonian versus potentially quantum physics, right? You know, so Newtonian physics, we got really comfortable when 
looking at when this ball hits this ball, that ball moves in that direction. So easy to quantify the laws that make that occur and to account for friction and to account for gravity. We got amazing at that. And we kind of maxed that out. You know, we, we needed something else to start to chew on. And quantum physics is definitely that. And the, the thing that from a experiential level, I like to help people recognize maybe two things. The first thing is when you start to play in nonlinear spaces, trust really has to be on board and belief and faith. Because if you're expecting the A plus B equals C and you don't get it, it's really going to tank you out. But just being in the presence of, of I am operating in a nonlinear space and I'm doing the good in the world or I'm making the prayer and it's going out there and it's doing something. Um, my favorite quote for one of my most challenging times in life is I walk by faith and not by sight. And that's really that cross between the, the linear and the nonlinear. I don't need to know where I'm walking in order to get where I'm going. I just need to keep on walking and faith will help me be there. And having those perspectives and that way of looking at the universe as I don't see everything and that's okay. I don't need to see everything in order to be safe. And the, the second thing that I think is really important is that when we start to operate in nonlinear source uh, spaces, the thing that starts to become more reliable that we can trust in more and more is what I call resonance. And that's being attracted and drawn into the resonance of what we need in a moment and feeling the resonance from another person or this program is really calling to me or I'm really feeling like I have to be in Kauai right now or, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, oh, there's really a deep truth to that. And that's really how I think the, the information streams in those nonlinear places is much more from a resonant feeling rather than a pure linear kind of A to B type awareness. You said something really, really important in that, which is resonance and actually trusting our gut feeling, having guttural intelligence. This could mm -hmm. obviously translate into the microbiome of the body mm -hmm. and, and digestion and the immune system. But just from a from an energetic level, you know, trusting our intuition, trusting our gut impulse when there's a decision to be made and we're at a crossroad, like we mentioned before, and we're not sure which way to go then it's not as much about external information and trying to problem solve from the outside world. It's about going within and trusting the inner guidance system that resonates or, or has a dissonance, which is a non-resonating yeah. uh, function. And that kind of guides us, you know, like that, that staircase example that Martin Luther King says, like, you don't need to know where it leads. You just need to take the first step and take the next step and take the next step. Yeah. There's something, it seems like there is something guiding us along the way synchronistically and serendipitously. And, it, and you mentioned it really comes down to trust and faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe that my experience of that has been the more I trust, the less data I get that is forecasting. And it has been uh, an awareness and realization that has been really challenging for me because I want to know what's happening in a month. I want to know what's happening in a year. And the way that I see this happen most often is when I'm asked to come and speak and I try to plan it out and the universe just does, doesn't give me the time or the, the brilliance of what I wanted to share doesn't show up. And about 60 seconds before I start speaking is when it all starts to show up. I'm like, 
thanks for the heads up. <laughs> it forces you into the presence of allowing a gift to show up in the moment. And we can take this from a time perspective. You know, this may be kind of that out of time experience or that may be the now moment experience. But just recognizing that if I relax and check in, I always feel like I'm going to have what I need to have when I need to have it. I may not have it right now, but I will always have it when I need to have it. And the only times when I found that that hasn't been true, I needed to learn something from that. And it's often I needed to learn something from it because I was really dependent on it. So yeah, having that faith and having that trust of I will be provided for, not in a passive way. There's all there's an active component that has to happen here of how I have to show up and in, in my committedness. But given that I meet what I need to do with action, that the universe will show up in the giving me what I need to have as well. I think that's to me how I'm experiencing faith the most right now. Again, beautiful explanation and just something I think that is so universal to everybody, especially with all the involutions going on right now and people's own personal experiences and everything that's kind of getting churned up and brought to the surface to basically yeah, yeah. be dealt with, right? Like we can't, one of the things you mentioned before is that it's time for the mystics in society to actually take their, their rightful role as leaders and start leading the ship mm-hmm. and getting it back on track. And, um, you know, one of the things about that is, is trust and faith. Mm-hmm. And taking full ownership of our experience and not bypassing is what I was, is the word I was looking for that you brought up is not bypassing our own experience, but actually taking full ownership for everything in our life, everything that's ever happened to us, everything that we want to achieve or experience and do in doing that, that, uh, that deep inner work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, again, from an integral lens, you know, we, we're not just operating at our highest level. We're operating at every level that we've existed in previously. So if we're only trying to be here, but we're ignoring this, which may be the physical, the emotional, this is really faulty. This is really shaky. You know, you can't build a mansion on, on stilts. It doesn't work very well. So we need to make sure that we're really trusting in that whole kind of, uh, the really holistic aspect of who we are and and all parts of us are online in order for the spiritual side to be really trustable. Well, this is a perfect segue to go into integral theory and to talk about spiral dynamics. This has been a huge foundation for your work and um, something that you really talk about a lot in great detail. So I'd love to take in what you just said about honoring the previous levels of where we were and integrating that for where we are and where we're going. Let's uh, let's start talking about what is integral theory and spiral dynamics. Yeah, rad. So integral theory is a meta model, which means that it's a model that's big enough to hold all other models. And the reason that I stumbled on integral was I found I was understanding lots of different models in the universe and, and in psychology and human development. And those models were both simultaneously accurate and they were disagreeing. And I didn't have a way to reconcile that, that they were both true and not true at the same time. I'm okay with paradox, but paradox by itself just kind of leaves you without being able to do a whole lot other than trust. And I needed something in addition to that to make it useful. So integral theory is a way to look at 
who a human is, how the way the world works, um, metaphysics, spirituality, technology, really anything that you're looking at and saying, this is where that thing lives. The, the reason it's been so valuable for me is it has multiple levels of consciousness that uh, is really kind of the architecture of the way human awareness and development and consciousness works. Um, so it's helped me to identify where anyone is in their, their consciousness and, and development process and maturation process, and then really uh, speak to them at that level, whether that level is below or above me. Um, and, you know, I definitely have people that are on both of those sides. Um, and those levels of consciousness are so useful to speak into if we want to create rapport, if we want to uh, have an influence, if we want to help in healing, to really see the world and the universe from this perspective that this person is having. And then another huge part of Integral is states of development, which are the consciousness states that people are going through in the spiritual experience. So when someone is having a vision of the goddess Lakshmi, where does that live in the world? And if we have to reject that as an experience that's real, where are we living in the world? You know, so there, there are many of these experiences that have been kind of the hallmark, world-changing, religion-changing, life-changing experiences. And I wanted to know how all that worked and where it lived. So Integral has been so super useful for me. And Spiral Dynamics is, is one of the key systems that the levels of consciousness development um, Wilbur took from Spiral Dynamics to help create his architecture um, in addition to the work of lots of other people who are doing um, developmental psychology and, and kind of personal growth stuff. Yeah, beautiful. And obviously, I want to probe a little bit deeper into that because Spiral Dynamics um, has been integral theory as well. It's been really powerful and I don't I don't know the depths of it like you do and I really want to flush out some some um, intricacies or some nuances that could be super relevant for people to not only get a grasp of this from a developmental psychological perspective but kind of a conceptual perspective so they can kind of kind of kind of visually see what we're talking about and then how is that relevant in this small time we have to explain it obviously they can go off and read books or go deeper into the work on it. Yeah. But I'd like to see like how, how can we make that relevant for what is the most, I guess, relevant or common theme that you see people going through? Yeah. Awesome. Um, hmm. So give me a, a category. And the one that pops to mind is entrepreneurship because that's kind of the world that I'm operating in a lot. Does that feel like a good, okay, cool. So, Spiral dynamics and, and the structure development of integral theory or the, the level development of way consciousness works operates on um, levels that we all climb through. So it goes from beige, I'll just go through the, the colors at the beginning, then we'll go back and fill them in. So um, beige, purple, red, blue, orange, green, yellow, turquoise, and then third tier beyond that. So each of these colors, and the reason that we use colors is when we number things, people get really offended that, oh, you're saying you're a four and I'm only a three. Well, what the hell? So I'm not even going to listen to this. So we start to use colors. It becomes much more acceptable and, and, uh, and a lot more people can participate without feeling judged. So um, 
we'll start at beige, which is basically survival level consciousness, people in a coma, people who are deeply mentally ill, who are just purely their, their body is the level of existence that they're at. Move up to purple, which is tribal. And that's really a level of consciousness that's in, that doesn't have any rational thinking on board, doesn't have any true awareness of what's actually happening. They're feeling at effect of everything that's happening in the universe around them. So a lot of tribal energies are really just trying to survive in the environment. And there's a lot of interaction that's happening in the tribe, but they are at the will of the angry volcano god or whatever else is kind of ruling the roost. You move up to red, which is power gods, which is at some point that tribe needs a leader. And someone says, as the leader, this is mine and this is mine and this is mine. And if you try to stand in my way, I'm going to knock you down and I'm going to take it. So that's the real emergence of individual individual power starts to come online at red. Uh, from there, we go to blue. And at blue, what we're really starting to look at is if everyone's red, that's pure chaos and everyone's just killing each other. And that's not going to work. So how do we put down rules and roles and culture so that there's a structure for organizing how a large group of people work together so that there's some sort of way to move the culture along and everyone gets some version of what they want from blue. And a lot of what happens at blue in the rules and roles is like you think about government, you think about police systems, you think of a lot of the traditional church um, that has just lots of structure and lots of rules and lots of hierarchy. That's mostly blue. From blue, we go to orange, which is a lot of striving. It's a lot of rational, linear, logical thinking. It's a win-win as long as I win a little bit more. So you think about um, corporate environments. You think about you know C-level management in a corporation where everyone's just trying to get ahead, trying to get ahead, trying to make more money, trying to do more, um, which is much more empowered because they'll bend the rules a little bit and, or, or make new rules or push beyond the rules in order to grow something. But there's a lot of that personal kind of gain that starts to come back online. From orange, we go to green. And green is all about getting back into the sensitive and back into the emotion and the connectedness and the community and the culture. And what we saw happen was in orange, when everyone was just trying to get ahead, get ahead, get ahead, at some point, a midlife crisis happens. And this is typical for men. They say, was that it? So I've got $4 million in the bank, but I feel awful. My life is terrible and I'm avoiding so much and my health is collapsing. How do I actually start to pay attention to what's going on in here? Oh, if I start to feel this stuff and connect with people, I actually start to feel a whole lot better. So that's what starts to happen at, at Green. And the hallmark of Green coming on was the hippie movement, 1969, Haight-Ashbury, Woodstock. That whole thing of make love, not war was the explosion of Green. And it's kind of, you know, created both amazing things and messy things now where, you know, everyone is equal, every kid gets a trophy, you know, all of that kind of stuff that's a little messy also lives at green in that way. So that's a super quick thumbnail sketch. What's important in all of those together is every level at each of those levels wants to push against the level above and below it. So we'll take orange. Orange looks at blue, the level below, and says, you rule followers, I'm just going to push you around and you're going to work for me. You're going to help me make money. And it looks up at green and says, you hippies, you guys aren't even, you're not even doing anything without me. You wouldn't even have this place to work. So it sees the level above. It doesn't get why it wants to be sensitive. It just looks at that as weak and stupid, but it looks at that as like, 
asinine. And the level below, it looks at it as weak. And that happens at every level below until we get to the next level above green, which is yellow. And at yellow, we have a what um, Claire Graves called, um, uh, I'm not going to say this right now, but essentially a, a radical shift in meaning. Um, or a, a quantum difference in the way that we're looking at how it's all working. At all of these levels, there's some push against hierarchy. And at yellow, we look down at all the levels that came before and say, thank God we need all of these levels to exist in order to create this whole structure of consciousness and have that be sustainable. We need all of these to work and work really well. So there's no more rejection about any of those levels of consciousness. There's actually an embracing and there's a, a desire to take care of each of those levels so people can grow through those and we can maintain all the beautiful aspects of the human experience that exist at all those levels without having to reject any aspect of another human or ourselves. So that's the thumbnail sketch. Uh, and the reason that I think it's so important is when I meet someone at orange, I get at, I go into my orange and meet them there. And I'm like, yeah, let's do this. We're going to make this happen. You're going to do this. We're going to go here. You're going to succeed in this way. And we're going to do this and this and this and this and this and this. The thing that I've seen happen most often in entrepreneurship, since we, that's what we brought up is uh, especially in heart centered or soul centered entrepreneurs, they go into green and they reject orange and all of that kind of forward driving action to make it work no matter what falls away. And it's all gets really loose and their business has a really hard time making forward motion because there's not enough of that kind of drive and intensity that was so pivotal and important in orange. And they get stuck at that level at green. So just as an example, that's, you know, one of the things that I've seen has been so super useful for helping me understand who a person is and what's going on in their life. And there's just so many incredible nuggets within that. We can easily unpack that to the nth degree. One of the things that I think is really important about that is integration and acceptance, right? Yeah. Racing all the different levels that we go through in the human experience and not, not fighting against and not judging against yeah. um, any different level, right? Totally. Yeah. And, and what I see most often is that when there's a rejection of one of those levels, there was a wounding in ourself when we went through that level and we're actually rejecting that part of ourselves. And so much of how we get to inclusivity is healing and accepting that part of us. In the example that we gave that maybe is directed and focused and wants to make stuff happen so that that doesn't have to get pushed into the shadows and with that we can really own that and we can heal ourselves so that we can more fully be with other people who are in that space. When it comes to health, there is a huge aspect of this that plays right into it. Maybe it plays everything into it because yeah. oftentimes what I see is that people more times than not will resist the thing that would actually heal them, that would yeah. actually save their life, that would actually give them the business opportunity that they've been praying for, the financial opportunity, the health opportunity. And there's something, it's that inner adversary that causes that person to hyper-rationalize, hyper-logicalize everything. Yeah. It's, like, it's like a literalism in our society that's void of metaphorical and mythic interpretation. And it actually causes them to avoid the thing that they've been praying for, but it doesn't come in the package form that they were hoping it would. Right. Totally. Yeah. And the, the thing that I see happen most often is 
uh, and Tony Robbins says this, that the, the most challenging thing to change is our self-identity. And there is a subconscious program that's consciously running that says, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is who I am. And when something comes in that's threatening or challenging to that, our first response is to push it away. And the, the challenge there is that if we're wanting to make a step from who we are into who we're meant to be, the things that we accept about our self-identity at this level are going to be completely different. So as someone's going, for example, from orange into green, having them relax into that sensitive self and just letting that kind of sensitivity and awareness and compassion, vulnerability start to come online is incredibly threatening to all the momentum they've built in orange because that's seen as a weakness in orange. So you get these little funky transitions and these, all of these ego deaths that have to happen over and over and over for us to welcome in this next version of who we have to be. And there's going to be a lot of us on board uh, somewhere in, you know, in the back of our minds saying, nope, 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 not going to do it. Um, and, and really getting comfortable and accepting that voice but not buying into it is so critically important for that growth process. Dr. Matt, this has been absolutely brilliant. I can't believe we're almost at the top of the hour. <laughs> it feels like it's been like 10 minutes and just reconnecting with an old friend. Um, but I'd like to say for everyone that's really interested in this particular conversation, first of all, where can they find more resources to dive deeper? And in that same sentiment, what would you like to leave our audience right now um, as, as, you know, just kind of like a final insight, um, for this journey that we've taken. Yeah. Awesome. So the, uh, books that I would recommend both by Ken Wilber, the first one you could read in an hour, a couple hours is called integral vision. And that's a really simple way to get a thumbnail sketch of the whole model. Um, and much bigger than what we talked about just now. The second one, if you love that, that I would start with is integral meditation. And it talks about this whole framework from a a perspective of meditation, which is the primary tool for self-awakening and has been for thousands of years. So those are two resources that I would recommend that are are great for kind of unpacking this. Um, And then thoughts. Hmm. I would say, you know, I'm in the business of helping people kind of identify the truth of who they are and give that away in the world. And that's kind of the resonance that I love people to to leave an interaction with me with is there's something special about you. There's something important that only you can give that the world desperately needs and may not need it on a massive level, and it may need it on a massive level. But understanding what your gift is, what your soul work is, what you came here to do, if that process hasn't come online yet, I'm going to invite you to start looking at that. And if that's been knocking at the door, to bring it in more fully, because I'm of the opinion that this world really works when we're all committed to doing what we came here to do and give those gifts of our soul. That's when the the patchwork quilt kind of all comes together. So that'd be my lead. (laughs) Absolutely beautiful and brilliant. And where can people find more about your work, your website and your upcoming book? Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so the website is drmattk.com, D-R-M-A-T-T-K.com. Um, just redone, looking fresh and clean. Um, and uh, if you go to that, then there's all the information that you need to take a look at the book um, and as well as office retreats and coaching, anything that uh, may resonate. So yeah, that's the easiest kind of hub. 
beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing your wisdom and just your your just your volumes of, of <laughs> deeply integrated knowledge. I just really appreciate you taking the time to share with me and share with all of us. This has been amazing. So much my pleasure. Thank you for being a platform to share what's most exciting to me. I hope you enjoyed this fascinating episode of the Holistic Health and Human Potential show. Before you head off, I want to invite you to go to my website for further podcast episodes and tons of free content on holistic health, natural nutrition, and human potential. Please go to www.ronnylandis.net to find out how to take your health and your life to the next level. And also, I want to encourage you to leave a five-star review for this podcast on our iTunes page, which will help me in my mission to get these inspiring messages to millions of people throughout the world. I thank you so much for your support, and I look forward to continuing to provide amazing conversations and content on holistic health and human potential.